Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Travis Bradbury to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Dr. Bradbury, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, you, uh, I mean, you literally wrote the book on EQ, um, and it's it's been a few years since that book came out. What have you learned since? What's what's what have you learned since Emotional Intelligence 2.0 first came out? Well, you know, the the biggest thing is is we've always known through the research and, the, and our work that emotional intelligence is just an absolutely critical skill to success in the workplace, particularly in management and leadership positions. Um, you know, 90% of top performers are high in EQ. And when we compare people's emotional intelligence scores to their job performance, we find that emotional intelligence explains about 58% of, of job performance of how people do on the job. But you know, at, at some level, that becomes uh, a bit academic. Those are numbers, and it's something entirely different when uh, more than a million people have read your book and you get to hear firsthand the, the changes that it's made in their lives and in their work. And I think that's, that's the biggest point of pleasure that, that we've gotten out of that is seeing the impact that it's, it's had on people. So it's it's not a it's not a new topic, but it's a topic where there's a lot more information and a lot more visibility around it. Are we getting better at emotional intelligence? Boy, that's 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 hard to say. Uh, the the uh, the public at large, I, I I don't know for sure, but I know that you know the thing with an individual is emotional. Your your IQ, first of all, is it's not what you know, but it's the pace through which you assimilate new information. And it's fixed at a, a, an early age. Your IQ is me- measured relative to your peers. They follow people from age 5 to age 50, and it just doesn't change. Now, your emotional intelligence is a flexible skill that you can actually change. That area of the brain is uh, highly, with the term that neurologists use, it's, it's highly plastic. It's malleable yeah. and flexible to change, mm-hmm. and those neurons will grow out to each other and form new connections. So um, it, uh, individual EQs are certainly going up. For people that make the effort, I just think that, um, as I said, despite you know more than a million people reading our book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, that doesn't necessarily there's there's you know just in the U.S. there's 299 more million more people to go. So, <laughs> so uh, when I have had the pleasure of talking to some of our guests so far, I've always found it interesting to to kind of preface it to say. You know what brought you here? How did you get to this subject area? What why does it interest you so much that you you put a lot of your life work into it? Well, I just you know my PhD is it's a dual degree. It's in clinical and industrial psychology, 
And I found that emotional intelligence just covers an incredible amount of ground, especially the ground outside of what gets us into our profession in the first place. So when, when you're a leader, your peers are a lot like you. They have similar degrees. They went to similar schools. They have a similar mm. tenure and, and industry knowledge. So what differentiates you are, are not those things. Uh, you know, a, a Yale guy may not necessarily do better than someone who went to UCLA. The, the difference is in emotional intelligence. That's the skill set where there's these massive, massive gaps. And I was, you know, I was really attracted to that. I, I, I saw that there was a lot of opportunity there. And uh, my co-author and business partner and I ended up, you know, building a company around it because we really found that, hey, this is, if there's one skill that you're going to focus on in the workplace that's going to get the biggest results, it should be emotional intelligence. And that's because emotional intelligence is a foundational skill. So emotions are the primary driver of our behavior. Our brains are wired so that we don't kick into gear until we have an emotional reaction to our surroundings. Uh, the, the trick is that those emotions kick into gear before your reason kicks in, and before you're able to have a rational response to them. So that's why there's such a huge opportunity there, because when you become a master of your emotions, you become a master of a lot of things. Um, it can improve just by working on your EQ. It can improve your teamwork, your leadership skills, your public speaking skills, how you deal with stress. I mean, it, it just trickles down into all these other areas of your working life. Uh, yeah, it's the best laid plans, isn't it? Uh, sometimes it all goes out through the window, out the window rather, when when stress comes into play. So let's let's dig a little bit into some of the the things that we can impact, some of the strategies. But but first, uh, is there a magic bullet so when you think of kind of the eighty twenty rule? If if I'm a manager of people, um, is there one thing that I could focus on more than others that would really help me have have higher EQ uh, when I'm dealing with folks? Yeah, you know, the, the thing with emotional intelligence is increasing your EQ is, is ultimately a very personalized process. Um, you know, one of our big things in, in training when we conduct our training programs at, at Talent Smart is that, you know, you have to know where you stand today. It can't just be an intellectual exercise. It has to be, okay, now, what, what am I good at? What are my surprise need areas that I should be focusing my energy and attention on? So that's something that, you know, I've been preaching a long time, but, you know, not every person that's listening to a podcast or reading one of my articles um, is, is taking an assessment like the readers of the book. So uh, there are some silver bullets, a sort of a, a long wind up of me saying there are some things that tend to touch a lot of people that I focus on. And one of them is to get your stress under control. You see, stress is really, really hard on yeah. um it's not just hard on you physically, as most people know, you know, and, and hard on your health, but it's also really, really hard on, on your behavior, um, on your emotional intelligence, on how you treat other people. And the thing is, it's, it's an absolutely necessary emotion. You know, you don't, you don't, once that sort of anxiety and stress starts to build, you take action and you alleviate it. But, um, you know, it actually, stress actually causes um, uh, growth in the area of the brain um, that's responsible for memory. It improves your memory. But once it becomes mm. too severe or too prolonged, it actually causes degeneration in the area of the brain responsible for self-control. So not only does being very stressed make you um, sort of a maniac in the moment, it also diminishes your capacity for self-control over time. So that's one of the, our, our big sort of silver bullets um, is that you need to have strategies to get your stress under control so that when you find yourself 
um, it, when you find yourself your stress getting too severe, you can you can bring it back down. So yeah, great advice. So in terms of you know don't write don't hit send on that email. Uh, don't take a meeting when your your emotions are up. Uh, and more than anything, just try to find some coping mechanisms to to kind of kind of bring yourself down to the level set before you start having some of those conversations that could get you in trouble. Right? Yeah, learn learn how to learn how to squash negative self talk. Um, be able to reframe your perspective on situations because when we get stressed, we tend to blow things out of proportion. Uh, a lot of people really benefit from breathing exercises. Um, it's a way to just really calm your thoughts down and, and refocus. Um, they did a, a, re- a study at UC Davis that's really fascinating. They taught people to what they called cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And all they did is they had a control mm. group and an experimental group. And the experimental group at regular intervals during the day had to stop what they were doing every time the alarm went off and think of something that they were grateful for. Hmm. Well, that act actually caused a physical reduction in the stress hormone cortisol of 23% in those individuals. Wow. So, so people who, you know, who have these stress reduction strategies who know, oh, when I'm feeling stressed, I just need to stop, clear my head, do some breathing, and think of something I'm grateful for, um, have, have much lower levels of stress. So practice mindfulness, maybe do a gratitude journal. That's that's great advice. I, when I think about, uh, you know, things that can get you in trouble in the workplace, uh, how do you do you recommend? Um, let's say you've gone down that path. You, you, you screwed up. You, you really you didn't show off your best self. You didn't show high emotional intelligence. How do you I'm, I'm sure it's happened to you. How have you backtracked and, and repaired that? Boy, I, I just think, you know, uh, particularly as a leader, I mean, my, my company has grown quite a bit um, since we started it. And I do find myself in these situations where, you know, as a leader, your behavior, you, you really prime the emotional state of the organization or the, the entity yeah. that, that reports to you. And everything that you do kind of, um, it, it, it permeates the organization and, and it affects other people. And I think the biggest thing you can do, and it's own your mistakes, that's very important. Um, and, you know, but but ultimately, what it comes down to in the long run is, is something that Ken refers to a lot, which is walking your talk. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to say you're sorry. It's another thing to show that you've actually improved and changed your behavior over the next few weeks or few months. And I think that's the, really the biggest thing you can do is, is model the behavior that you say that's important to you. There's so many great tools in in the book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. You talk about the four skills, which is, I think, uh, it's very uh, accessible for a reader to come in and understand from the personal competence, the social competence. So we can do a, a deeper dive into that aspect of it. But I really want, I want to implore our listeners as well. Uh, you, you're, you're a pretty prolific writer um, on LinkedIn. So there's I, I've seen some articles here and there that uh, are just, just in time for me. It's like you know exactly what's going on in my brain. What are you hoping to accomplish, you know, getting those messages out and, and helping uh, people? Uh, um, do you feel like that, that EQ is this ongoing process that uh, just brick by brick you improve it? Well, yeah, you know, what I've found in, you know, I've been working with emotional intelligence now for about 20 years. And this, right since basically it became very, very popular in, in the mid-90s. And people began to hear about it outside of academia. And the thing that I've found that really hasn't changed since then is that there's a lot of people who are interested in emotional intelligence. They've heard about it maybe in passing, but they don't know what to do about it. They don't know the steps to take to actually increase their EQ. So we started with that, with, um, that book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, and the idea there was let's not just do a book about emotional intelligence, let's, let, let's actually focus the heart of the book on how people can take action. 
Yeah. And that's why with the book, you it includes a passcode to go online and take our emotional intelligence test. And then your results show you which of the 66 strategies from the book will increase your EQ the most. So my writing has really been sort of um, springboarding from the book to try to tackle more and more specific areas that people can apply. You know, how to deal with toxic people, um, educating on some of the harm that, that comes in with multitasking, with um, too much caffeine intake, um, coaching people on things like likability, uh, persuasion, influence, certainly leadership and management skills. But it's really just trying to find, when I write an article, I try to focus on one specific area that people can focus on, um, you know, because that's the idea is one Right now, for, the, for this week or the next week or two, you want to work on one specific thing. And then once that becomes habitual, you move on to the next. So that's my focus is to have my articles to have really uh, tackle one specific problem. Let's say I don't want to put you on the spot here, but this book is very prescriptive. You've got all these different skills. So let's, let's throw one out there. Let's say that uh, I've got an issue with procrastination. And if uh, my leaders are listening to this, they know that's not just a... Uh, a random idea there. So how would how would one go about something like that? Because procrastination can affect other people and affect your working relationship. Is there a strategy you'd recommend for that? Absolutely. The thing with procrastination that most people struggle with is they get caught in what's called this procrastination doom loop. So, you know, everyone experiences procrastination, and that is putting something off because you're not in the mood to get going. Yeah. That's all it is. Um, and there's a lot of other stuff that isn't as urgent as what you need to work on that you're in the mood to do. So something gets put off and, and it sits there. Well, that's, and that's sort of the first phase of this doom loop. The second part is you realize that too much time has passed and you better start. Say, oh, my God, I'm, I'm out of time. I, I, I better get going. I better get going. But you can't focus now because you're feeling so bad about the time you've wasted. You feel so much more pressure that you've created and you're sort of back in this doom loop and it becomes very, very cyclical. Uh, really overcoming procrastination is, is strategies to remove yourself from the doom loop. So you need to get obstacles out of your way that stop you from working on a task. Um, you need to force yourself to jump right in no matter what. So you need to be able to quiet that self-talk that's telling you, oh, I blew it, I'm out of time, I can't do this. You know, those, those are all uh, thoughts that are fueling your procrastination. So you need to just learn how to dive right in. And another biggie that I know helps a lot of people, uh, besides working in the right environment, which is, is kind of goes without saying, is learn how to cut holes in your project. Because mm. the longer you wait and the more you procrastinate, the more uh, intimidating the project is. So, so when I say that you have to force yourself to dive right in, start with something that you can do. Don't waste another moment thinking about what you can and as you cut holes in it, um, you know, it starts to look like Swiss cheese and it's much less intimidating by that point. Yeah, it's a, a book uh, that I've, I've read before. Anne Lamont, uh, she, you know, how do you catalog? She, it was a, a story from her past uh, where she was asked to catalog all the birds and how do you begin? And she says bird by bird. You know, how do you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So you're saying just just have some early successes and uh, and and that will lead to greater successes. But just uh, do what you can to not put it off, because otherwise it, it really, truly becomes a vicious cycle, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, and then you're really ultimately just spending time worrying uh, instead of acting. And 
that's that deal move that just keeps things going. This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more and there's a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. And they have a special offer right now. Send an email to podcast at KenBlanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. Now through the end of summer of 2018, one grand prize winner chosen randomly will receive a free one-on-one call with Ken Blanchard. Five others will receive a signed copy of Ken's latest book, Servant Leadership in Action. Let's talk about another one that you mentioned just a bit ago, uh, uh, dealing with toxic pe- people. That that can be so tough, and, and our workplace is made up of so many different uh, uh, personalities and so many different people, and, and sometimes you just catch them on a bad day as well. So how do you recommend um, somebody with the right intentions to, to deal with somebody that uh, is, is typically toxic day-to-day in a workplace? Well, the biggest thing with, with toxic people is it comes down to boundaries, and that's something that really gets people into trouble. I mean, assuming uh, that there's, I would say there's a small percentage of us and a small percentage of the time that we all do this other thing, which is sort of sinking to that level <laughs> and, yeah. and, and fighting fire with fire. And you, you never win. That never works with, with toxic people. So what people end up doing is they kind of um, step back, but they don't really put a boundary up. So they, they have no way to keep this toxic person from from wreaking havoc and, and causing problems for them. Um, but, the, you know, that just couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, once you've identified a toxic behavior, a toxic person and you really understand them and understand their behavior, you, ha- you then have to look at, well, where can I put boundaries up? Where, where, where don't I have to engage with them? Where don't I even have to work with them? Mm. Um, and, and treat the situation, uh, approach it more sort of like an anthropologist would where you're looking at it objectively, you're looking at it from the outside, and then you don't get, you don't get sort of caught up in, in the mess. So create an environment that, uh, that where you're having less interactions with those people that could obviously bring your, your EQ down. Yes, I mean, that, that's one part of boundaries is, is you know, if, if um, there, there are certain interactions that, that you may not have to have with someone, for example, you know, one of the, the suggestions I make to people is don't die in the fight. You know, yeah. we, we have this uh, tendency. Uh, this is actually one of the because we've tested more than a million people now, and we find one of the mm-hmm. biggest mistakes people make when it comes to the EQ skill of um, relationship management is we win the battle to lose the war. Yeah. So we get so focused on proving that we're right in the moment that it erodes the overall quality of the relationship. Well. When that comes to a toxic person, you need to recognize when they're trying to create a battle that isn't worth you fighting, and you just don't engage. It's, it's, it's that simple. It's, it's recognizing when you don't have to engage. I, I love that. It, it reminds me of the first time I heard that uh, uh, within Marshall Goldsmith's uh, book, uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. He talks about don't win so much, and, and that, that really – it. it you kind of look at that in a, in a, in an odd way, but, uh, when you actually think about what he's trying to get across, what you're trying to get across it, it's about, um, you, you want to nurture good relationships. And if you're always right, uh, you're, you're not going to be a very likable person to, to spend time with and be successful with. Yeah. And the reality with toxic people is that proving, proving that you're right, isn't going to do anything for you. It's, it's exactly. not going to change their perspective. So you don't want to engage at all. All right. So we've talked about toxic people. Uh, what about uh, and we've all had you know, a bad boss. We've had a bad leader. They may not be toxic, but they may just 
have really low EQ. And so what do you de- do if you're day to day working with somebody that just does not seem to to have the, the heart, does not seem to, to, to care as much um, and isn't bringing their heart to work? Well, you know, a, a big thing is modeling the kind of behavior that you want to see. Hmm. And, you know, that's that's sort of that's leading up. And I think mm-hmm. it's frustrating for people, you know, when they work with a boss um, who, you know, just just doesn't pull his or her weight, doesn't act like a leader. It's 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 hard to, to want to lead up and, and hard to see that, you know, that you know, that they might actually do something with that because half the time they're not. But that's really all you can do is, is, is treat people how you want to be treated and don't accept them treating you in ways that you shouldn't be treated. You know, those boundaries where, where people become toxic. That's, that's, that's really all you can do uh, with a difficult boss. Are there things that you can do personally, though, beyond just modeling the, 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 the skills that you want to see back in the world? Is there anything else that you'd recommend uh, that could help people kind of nudge them in the right direction? Well, I mean, it's hard with your boss because of fear of reprisal. Right. So, I mean, there's... But there's ways that, that you lead. I mean, let's say you, you yourself are in a leadership position and your boss is, mm-hmm. is a curmudgeon. Well, have your team be the one that gets recognized inside the organization for, um, for the behavior that you want to see, you know, for, for the group that yeah, sort of sets the gold standard is, is, you know, above board in everything that they do. Um, you know, there's, there, there's ways that you can, in addition to demonstrating your own behavior, but you can influence other people in a way that, that makes it hard for the powers that be to deny the importance of this. Um, but it's hard. I mean, you know, for people that are really stuck in a toxic environment, I mean, you need to look elsewhere. You need to have the tools that can get you from A to B, you know, can get you through the time you're in right now. But ultimately, um, they're, they're only going to take you so far. Yeah, culture and, and having a good culture that obviously is is very important. You you mentioned Ken a bit earlier, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase Ken Blanchard here in, in just a bit uh, or in in a way. So he, you know, he says leadership is not what we do to people; it's what we do with them. How do you define leadership? Oh, that's a good question. How do I define leadership? You know, I I think that leadership has a lot to do with what you bring out in other people. Um, you know, as a leader, you're, you're only really going to, you can't force people to do certain things, but, but you can right. bring them to where they want to go. And I think that's sort of the, the, the essence of, of leadership. You know, it's that process of social influence. You know, you maximize, you get people maximizing their skill set towards the achievement of a goal. Um, you know, I think it's something that you absolutely, you know, don't need to wait for a title to possess. You know, anyone can be a leader. And for you, it, it, it's a, str- a strong, strong belief that to be the most effective leader, you should have, you should have pretty, pretty good emotional intelligence. That's a, that's a part of the complete package. Right, and that's because it's this process of exerting social influence that gets yeah. people, you know, moving towards the achievement of the greater good. And that's that's a big, big part of it. And that requires great emotional intelligence skills. 
So we have a lot of people in our listening audience. Ken is actually listening as well, and he's going to provide his thoughts at the end of uh, at the end of this. Uh, but a lot of people that are listening are people in the learning and talent development function of their organization. So when you you think about uh, our discussion here, and what are some of the natural connections between what you're researching and what you're touching on day to day, and what they might be trying to achieve in their organization? Well, you know, first of all. Emotional intelligence is just an absolutely critical leadership skill. As I mentioned previously, leaders prime the emotional state in the organization, and, and, and it's really something that leaders need to have in their repertoire. And one of the recommendations that we make, I mean, sure, we do day-long training programs, but sometimes that isn't the right fit. You know, some, some organizations just want to inject emotional intelligence into their leadership education, and, and it can be done in small ways. Um, even even as small as the book. Now, emotional intelligence can also make connections to other areas. So, for example, a lot of people do work with personality. I know a lot of Blanchard clients work with the DISC. Um, people really like the, the Strengths Finder assessment. And, you know, these are tools, or the Myers-Briggs, these are tools that are measuring stable characteristics, preferences and tendencies through which you approach the world. And like your IQ, your personality is fixed at a very early age. It's later than IQ. It's in your late teens, early 20s, but it's fixed. Mm. And if you're a, an extrovert that's energized by people, you're, you're always going to be that way. Well, mm. there's a very strong connection between emotional intelligence and personality. The way I say it is that personality is the vessel through which your emotional intelligence is expressed. And they don't occur together in any meaningful way. So you can be an extrovert that's high in relationship management and is great with people. Or you can be an extrovert that's low in relationship management and is just, you know, the proverbial bull in, in the china shop that's terrible with people. So how you go about working on that skill is going to be different depending upon your personality type. And um, that's really the big challenge that, that I, I think that a lot of L&D people face is, well, how can we integrate emotional intelligence into the leadership mindset in this organization? And, and I find that the connections are, are very easily made uh, once you really understand what emotional intelligence is about. I love that. That's, that's, uh, when, when you think about uh, in social settings, you're right, you use bull in the, the china shop, but uh, you've got somebody who, you're right, who could be a high eye, and their goal in, a, in any sort of social setting is to talk to every single person. They probably aren't connecting with one person. Um, and the real value is when you can have that connection and, and make people feel and actually have them know that they've been heard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and emotional intelligence is the skill that can get you there because being a high eye doesn't necessarily mean you're good at it. It just means that you prefer it and you're energized by it and it's a need. It's not a skill. And emotional intelligence is the skill that gets people there. So there's no magic bullet. You said if you're going to focus on one thing is, is, is working on uh, um, handling your stress and finding some mechanisms to, to lessen your stress and not going into conversations where you're, you're at a high stress level. The book is really prescriptive. So you've got the access to the, the assessment. Uh, it, it, last, it, it, it leads out to one of dozens of different areas that you can focus on. So very prescriptive. I uh, highly recommend our, our listeners to, to pick it up if they haven't had a chance. So we're, we're just about ready to wrap up. I want a couple more questions with you. Um, what is one thing that you hope our listeners are going to take away from our conversation today? What do you want to impart on them? I think the biggest thing is to get people to understand this idea that emotional intelligence is a foundational skill. You know, we have more than 400 emotional experiences every waking day. 
you know, the portion of the day where we're awake. They are the absolute primary driver of our behavior. And I think the thing that most people are surprised about when they begin working on their emotional intelligence is how much it affects their behavior across the board. They say, wow, I wasn't really working on that. I was just working on, you know, I was working on my EQ. I was working on, let's say, um, um, how I treat people when they push my buttons, being more patient. Mm -hmm. But I also found that when I get really stressed, I make better decisions because I'm able to quiet my mind and consider more options and and, and I get less um, rigid. So it's things like that. When people work on their EQ, it translates into so many other areas. And I think that's this big benefit that a lot of people realize after the fact. And so it's a nice thing for people to know going into it that, that, that emotional intelligence covers so much ground. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for those parting words. So I, I want to make sure that people do connect with you online because you are a prolific uh, influencer, especially on LinkedIn. What's some great ways? Uh, I mentioned one right there, but what are, what are some ways for people to stay connected with you and, and get some of your uh, most up-to-date writing? Well, all my articles uh, and a lot of other EQ information are on my company website as well. That's talentsmart.com, T-A-L-E-N-T-S-M-A-R-T. So you can find everything there. And then if you're uh, a heavy LinkedIn user, I also I post everything on LinkedIn as well. Um, and you can look me up there, Dr. Travis Bradbury, and uh, follow my articles or send a connection request. I'll be happy to, to be connected with you, and uh, um, hopefully this will be uh, helpful. Well, we appreciate the time you t- took with us today. A lot of great information for us to to ponder and to, to dive into. So, Dr. Travis Bradbury, thank you so much for joining us here on the, the Blanchard Leader Chat podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. I really enjoyed Travis's session on emotional intelligence, and a couple of things really struck me. First of all, he said that IQ, our intelligence quotient, is fairly steady. You know, I mean, you can probably grow it a little bit and all, but emotional intelligence is really something, it's a flexible skill, you know, because you can get better at it, but you also could probably get worse. And it's a very dynamic thing. And yet also, he said, it's so important for you as an effective leader to understand the power of it. And it struck me uh, in thinking about people who have low uh, emotional intelligence, they forget a basic formula we all learned if you ever took a psychology course, S-O-R, and S stands for stimulus, something that happens to you. O 
that stimulus goes through the organism, which is O, which is your mind, and you think through it, and then you give it the R, which is your response. The people who are low on emotional intelligence are stimulus response machines. Somebody says this, something to them, it upsets them, boom, they respond uh, right away and all. And as Travis was saying, it's sometimes something happens to you that's upsetting, you need to quiet yourself and uh, calm yourself down, maybe do some deep breathing, and then think of some kind of response so you can uh, be less emotional uh, about it. And uh, one of the things I was thinking, he talked about, uh, you know, different examples that you might want to di- have emotional intelligence with, like, how do you deal with a bad boss? And I never forget early in my career when I was, you know, college professor, just starting, we had a dean that, that wrote a lot and and uh, was quite well known, but he didn't practice what he preached. He wrote a lot about participative management. And uh, some of the faculty would really get upset, and they would charge into his office and tell him what he was doing wrong, and he'd throw him out of the office, you know. And so I watched this, and I said, that doesn't seem to be very intelligent. So uh, I figured that I had to develop a personal relationship with him because he had position power that I didn't. All I have is potential personal power. So I stopped him in the hall, and I said, Dean, you know, you've really done a lot of writing, and I'm just getting started in, in writing some articles and some things and all. Uh, would you be willing to sit with me and, and look at some of the things I'm writing and give me some feedback? Oh, sure, I'd love to do that. And I went in his office, even got a flip chart out, and and he was just so helpful. And I, I had a couple of meetings like that with him. And I never forget, after the second meeting, he says to me, Ken, how do you think we can deal with all the jerks in this school? Now, the big word was, how do you think we because he now saw me part of his team. I now had some personal power. So down the road, I was able to sit with him sometime and talk about what he was doing that might have led to some of this jerk behavior on other times. But I had that relationship. And that was a kind of an emotional intelligence uh, thing that somehow I just kind of picked up, particularly recognizing position position power and uh, personal power. So, uh, uh, Travis, I just think this is great. I think all of us have to remember that emotional intelligence is a very, very important part of being an effective leader. So I hope you all have listened to this well and will take this into consideration and even read Travis's book. <laughs>